Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Kate Hubble. I am your host today and every day that you tune in. This is episode six. We are past the halfway mark to my big goal of 10 episodes. This one is called Fatal Feminism, and we're going to talk all about feminism today in honor of March being, I think, a month celebrating women's history and women in general. And yesterday, specifically March 8th, Monday, was International Women's Day. So happy Women's Day to all you ladies out there and the ladies in your lives, if you're not a woman. Um, I hope you wished them a happy Women's Day. And we are celebrating women, which is something I am a firm believer in regardless of what we're going to talk about today. Um, But we're going to get into feminism today. I'm going to give you my understanding of a brief history of feminism. And then we're going to get into feminism and issues of of gender and harassment, maybe. Uh, Just issues uh, facing women that I have faced in my life. And then we're going to get some perspective from people that I've chatted with. I have surveyed most people that are super important to me (laughs) to get their opinions on feminism and whether or not they would consider themselves a feminist. And we're going to talk about feminism as a movement versus feminism as a concept versus traditionalism as a concept, but I was going to say traditional values, but traditionalism really as a concept we're going to get into. Um, Yeah, so I want to get into it, but I know, I know you guys and I know y'all come for the tea. So before we get into a brief history of feminism, I'm going to update you on Tinder Boy and the sexy Syrian. Um, Because damn, damn, things are spicy. So this weekend was actually quite interesting. And I I know I've, I've kind of sworn off talking about the Tinder Boy drama several times. And I've said that out of uh, a desire for privacy, but then also I, I included in that statement a caveat of, I will stop talking about it when it becomes irrelevant, right? Or I will bring it back up when it comes becomes relevant. And unfortunately for me, it has stayed relevant. Um, so we're still talking about it. This will actually be, like, this is a more conclusive Um, final statement on the Tinder boy stuff and maybe uh, an introduction to some of the spiciness with the sexy Syrian. So we will see um, where things go, but the state of things now is actually, funny enough, uh, dependent on the last podcast episode. So Tinder boy and I had our conversation one-on-one in person at my place on Sunday, love last week. And on Tuesday, when the episode came out, he listened to it. Um... He was uncomfortable and uh, it's not, okay, I I will say, it's not my place to expose all of his deepest, darkest feelings about what he heard, Um, but it made him uncomfortable most generally and I I believe and he expressed indirectly that it was because there's another person involved in this story. Um, To be honest, to be forthcoming with you, I didn't tell him about the other person in this story. He didn't know about the sexy Syrian when we talked on Sunday, and it wasn't out of me hiding or withholding to hurt him or be sneaky. It was just that really meeting this other person was irrelevant to how I was feeling about him um, because I was feeling that before I ever met the sexy Syrian. So now that I've said the sexy Syrian and his ego's been stroked enough, um, I'll get into kind of kind of the repercussions of the last episode. So I talked about the situation. I shared some t- stories, some drama. Um, and I maybe shot myself in the foot with that if I really wanted to be Tinder Boy's friend because it, it upset him. It upset him so much that on Friday I checked in with him. We hadn't spoken in a couple days. I was like, hey, how have you been? And in the middle of what I felt was like a normal ass conversation, um, he hit me with like a paragraph of, I don't want to be your friend. I need space essentially. And I was really upset. I was uh, confused mostly. I- I'll be so uh, so honest that I wasn't necessarily angry or sad, but frustrated and confused. And the reason I say frustrated and confused is because I thought we were on the same page. Even after listening to the episode on Tuesday, we Snapchatted. We were messaging on Snapchat and he promised me that we were okay and that he wasn't mad, and that he, you know, we were going to move forward as friends and be fine. And then 
Friday slapped me across the face with this text message basically saying that he was more affected by the podcast than he had originally attend like in envisioned which is fair none of these none of his feelings are are unfair or invalid they're all a hundred percent valid and a hundred percent fair and a hundred percent understandable however i wish i had known that before he so confidently agreed to be my friend and so enthusiastically said that he didn't want me out of his life um because that gave me a sense of comfort and a sense that i wasn't hurting him uh that i was cool with that I was happy with but if I had known that I had upset him I would have addressed it more directly in a different way um so so he hits me with the 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 text we're texting back and forth for a little bit I get really upset and and I'm super confused and he gets off work later and he asks to call me and I said sure so he calls me and to be quite honest and I honestly don't give a fuck if he hears this that phone call was the worst phone call I've ever been on with someone ever trying to express themselves and and what I mean by that is I don't know why that phone call was necessary if he was gonna sit on the other end telling me he has no idea how he feels and I know why he wanted to speak on the phone because he felt like he upset me um and he wanted to make sure everything was okay which it wasn't and I wasn't gonna lie about that so me saying I'm confused and upset and frustrated and saying okay so how about you tell me how you feel and him saying well I don't know how I feel and I don't know where I want to go from here and it was a lot of I don't know it was a lot of honestly wasting my time uh and that's not to sound cold but I, I don't feel like it's productive to have conversations about moving forward or taking space or having feelings if you don't know how you want to move forward or take space or how to express your feelings. So um, my, not suggestion, I mean, it already happened, but my input would be that that phone call shouldn't have happened until he was more clear on how he felt, which is exactly the conclusion we came to together and or the conclusion that I imposed on the situation which was, call me when you figure it out. Text me if you want to see me. Text me if you figure out that you want to be friends. I, I just text me. I don't, I don't want to do this. So that is the conclusion for now. We are taking space and time from each other on his terms. Um, and I kind of set my terms of friendship and the way that I am friends with people so that he knows exactly what he's signing up for if that's what he wants. And I would say we're in a good place, but we're in no place with each other. We have not spoken, not out of anger, but out of, you know, he gets his time to move on from me as he expressed he needed. um, And I respect that. So I'm going to do, as I always do, whatever the fuck I want. And he can let me know if he wants to be a part of my life. That's not supposed to sound cold and mean, but I don't have time to do the, I don't know, I don't know, I I don't have time to figure out how you feel for you. So... Um, with anyone, uh, period, <laughs> at any point in time, you know? So um, so that's the conclusion there. Now, let's talk about the sexy Syrian. I, I made a mistake in naming him that on this podcast because I think it's part of, <laughs> part of the reason Tinder Boy was uncomfortable. And I will clarify that although he is Syrian and sexy, um, I chose the name because I like the alliteration. Um, I I like the the two S sounds, and it you know I'm obviously not going to use his real name for his privacy. So I and I wanted to record and upload that episode. So I was racking my brain for a couple different options. Um, he's an EMT also, but I didn't. There were there weren't many like positive fun adjectives I could throw in front of EMT that started with an E that I liked. So I landed on sexy Syrian. And we love that for me because, as I said on that episode, he's a Leo and his ego is through the roof. So he ate that shit up and then he threw it in my face. I, uh, we were hanging out on Wednesday and then I saw him also on, on Saturday morning all the way through Sunday afternoon. Um, we were together and he ate that shit up. He, he made some sort of comment in front of me where he was like, oh yeah, I look great naked. And in front of people, like in public, he made a joke. And I like kind of looked at him like eyebrows raised, like, hmm. And it wasn't that I was questioning whether or not he looks great naked. It was like, are you really allowed to say that about yourself in front of a hundred, like a bunch of people, you know? Um, and, and he was like, what? what sexy Syrian, right? Like, so he throws it in my face and, and it's in a good way and in a, in a fun, playful way. But um, so I definitely, 
definitely shot myself in the foot with that one on multiple ends because now in front of the sexy Syrian, I have to own up to calling him that um, in front of his friends and my friends and contextualize that for them. Like I have a podcast. I had to come up with a name for him. (laughs) Like I have to do that explanation. And then also it made Tinder boy uncomfortable, which is someone I care about and value. So really fucked that one up to be honest. To be honest, but we're sticking with it so that you know who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, we spent we spent a good chunk of the weekend together, and it felt very normal. It, it was super fun, and I I enjoy just being around him. Just being in his presence is super comfortable and safe. And we have really great kind of like thought provoking, intriguing conversations that I appreciate. Um, often political, often you know family relationship dynamic stuff. We also had a conversation in the car that I was obsessed with. Oh my God. I saw this thing on Twitter that said, if you you want to know how to get your boy to talk to you for hours, text him, hey babe, what animals do you think you could take in a fight? And then the, the tweet was like a screenshot of this girl doing it. And she said, hey babe, what animals do you think you could take in a fight? And he responded, oh my fucking God, how much time do you have? And it was really funny. So I brought it up to him and we started going through animals. And it was funny because I thought... It just, I don't know, maybe this is just my perception of men, but I thought I was going to list animals and he, he was going to be like, oh, fuck yeah, I could take that, could take that, could take it, yeah, kill it, kill it, kill it. Like, I, I was so ready for him to think he could conquer all these different animals I was throwing out there at him. Um, and <laughs> I, think, I think we conceded that he could take a, a squirrel or maybe five squirrels um, and a raccoon, but none of the other things I, I suggested was he confident that he could take in a fight. So I don't know. We have fun when we're together. I enjoy him. And I was, I felt lucky in a way to have so much time with him. I, I didn't anticipate him, you know, being here with me in my place for so long. Not that I minded. I loved every second of it, but I, I don't know. I just thought, <laughs> I thought he would be like, okay, like I need to be in my own bed or with my friends or something. I just assumed he would he would have a reason to dip at some point and he chilled. So, um, it was nice. It was a nice weekend. It was, it was fun. It was relaxing. Um, always good to see him and hang out. So that is the update on the tea. I don't want to take up any more time from this episode because this episode is actually really important to me. Um, and talking about this feminism stuff. So I want to go through first feminism as, as a brief history of feminism. So, It's actually super interesting. I found in my research for this episode, the first mention of something um, that expressed the the equality of men and women was actually all the way back in ancient Greece. So in Plato's work, The Republic, um, which if you... If you say you're unfamiliar, you're definitely at some point have seen this because you've for sure studied quotes or excerpts from it in some sort of class, be it history or philosophy or something. It's this is a huge piece of philosophy. Um, But just in a couple of sentences in this work, Plato says he believes women to have equal natural capacity to men for the governing and protection of Athens. Now, I thought that was fascinating because you don't, especially in ancient philosophy, ancient texts, you don't often see women discussed in that way, in their capabilities as much as you do in their duties or positions, you know, in society, their status. Um, and so to, to see, um, and it was quoted, natural capability uh, equal to men for governing and protecting Athens. I thought that was so fascinating. And so... The reason that I bring that up as the earliest signs of feminism is because feminism as a concept, and I'm going to define it right now so that we don't have to keep going back to this, feminism as a concept academically is defined by equality of the sexes, of the genders, whatever. They are different, and so I don't say whatever to dismiss, but it is gender and sex-based discrimination that is being fought by feminism and so what feminism is for is equality between men and women so that's feminism as a concept is equality of men and women now it isn't it isn't necessarily a political concept and the reason i want to say that is i think the word feminism has been politicized because obviously the fem part of that word the stem of that word means women it's it's a it's literally referring to the feminine um 
However, as a concept, equality isn't political. So I want I want to make that that distinction that the word has been politicized, but conceptually what it means, the definition, I don't think is political because I think it goes beyond politics to culture and behavior and interpersonal relationships. Um, but feminism as a word and as a movement are political, obviously. So we're going to get into the movement. We're going to talk right now about first wave feminism. So first wave feminism is women's suffrage. So this is women gaining the right to vote. 19th Amendment was ratified in 1920. That gave women the right to vote. This is first wave feminism. It started the fight for the right to vote actually started all the way in 1848 with the Seneca Falls Convention. And this is basically a convention where women gathered and basically declared that if they were to be, you know, quote unquote, all men created equal in the United States, that they deserved equal participation in the civic process. Now, again, we'll get into this when we talk about the issues with feminism as a movement and as I don't think there's any issues with feminism as a concept. I'm going to say that right now because I don't want to preface that I'm going to talk about the issues of the movement and the concept when I really don't feel like the concept has any issue. Equality, I feel like, is something we can agree on. Um, so so I'm going to say that now. But there, there is a part of this process from 1848 until 1920 where women, low-key, just going to throw this out there, could have had the right to vote sooner. However, part of gaining the civic like right to vote is the civic duty to sign up for the draft. Women didn't want that. I personally don't want that. I have no desire to sign up for the draft. I have no desire to serve in the military. So I'm glad that it wasn't that way. But it took longer because um, Congress and activists and government people had to agree that women could have the right to vote and not have to sign up for the draft, which is different from the male right to vote. So um, I want to throw that out there now in this first wave feminism piece. Second wave feminism is often referred to as women's liberation. So this is women in the workplace. This is the Equal Pay Act of 1963, I believe. Let me check my notes. Yes, 1963. And then the Equal Rights Amendment was passed in 1972. So Equal Pay Act guarantees women the same pay for the same work as men. And the Equal Rights Amendment guarantees women... um, a work environment free of gender or sex-based harassment and discrimination. So these two parts of second wave feminism are about women in the workforce. Now, what's important to know is these both came after World War II. Prior to World War II, after 1920, there's a period here where some women were fighting for the right to work and be paid equally. And some women were not. They were completely content being homemakers, being stay-at-home moms. Um, And I'm not here to shit on that at all. I'm going to talk about my view of feminism after I get into this, after I finish this brief history. And I'll tell you my point of view on that. But there were women completely content living in this traditionalist valued-based system. That's a really convoluted phrase. But they were happy with the traditionalism that was present in the country. However there became a feeling of necessity during World War II that women step up and replace men in the workplace to, one, maintain the economy. So wartime economy, as we all know, is way more prosperous than any other kind of economy. And two, all the men were off at war. So literally no one was here to work factory jobs. I don't want to say literally no one, but there was a disparity in the workforce. And so women stepped up. Post-World War II, after women stepped up, they said, hey, we're not just secretaries and teachers and assistants. We did the same jobs that you did and got paid less. So how about no more of that? Which, to be fair, I can agree with. Now, there is debate in this feminism versus traditionalism about whether or not women should hold jobs like that. Not whether or not they should be able to, but whether or not they should hold jobs like that. Um, But the fact of the matter is, in history, they did. (laughs) They did do that, and I firmly believe that they should be paid equally to men for doing the same work. So that's women's liberation. However, the second part of the second wave of feminism is Roe v. Wade and reproductive rights. So this is also important to note, is that in this era, 
Roe v. Wade was hashed out in the Supreme Court. Women gained the right to control what happens with their bodies, specifically in relation to their reproductive rights, so abortion, birth control, etc. Roe v. Wade is known specifically for abortion, but the interesting thing about this part of history is this is when organizations like Planned Parenthood and other women-based health organizations began to educate women on their options with birth control and contraception. And so this era marks a huge, I want to say, gaining of control, gaining of autonomy for women over their bodies. Um, And I'm going to talk about that again in my perspective of feminism is that feeling of being able to control what happens with your body and when you have kids and if you have kids and what comes in and out and and goes in your body in terms of medication and birth control and whatever, I think that's huge for women. And and I, you know, abortion as a con like as a controversial conversation aside, I think the access to birth control and the control of the your your reproductive process is is a huge part of women's liberation. Third wave feminism begs the question, who benefits from feminism? And and the point of begging that question is not to say that men suffer. It's to say that there are several populations of women that are excluded from first and second wave feminism. And what I mean by that is some of the people who fought the hardest for the right to vote and the right to be paid equally are women of color, are women in the LGBT community, are trans women. And however hard they might have fought for feminism and for women they're left behind by the feminist movement that focuses on the issues of middle class white women and so third wave feminism is this change of perspective and we bring in this concept called intersectionality intersectionality is the idea that discrimination is experienced on an intersection of your identities so For example, if you're a woman of color, you are not only ever going to experience racial discrimination or gender discrimination, it is also likely possible and maybe even guaranteed that you'll experience discrimination because you are both a woman and a person of color. And how those things interact with each other, how those identities interact with each other and the discrimination or harassment you faced based on those identities intersects at a point and we need to talk about it. So... Women of color face different issues than women of women, Caucasian women. I was going to say women not of color, but that sounds so wrong. Um, Women of color face different issues than Caucasian women do. And the point here is that feminism should cover all women. If we're really fighting for women, if we're really trying to pull women out of being disenfranchised and marginalized, we should be talking about all women is the point of third wave feminism. However, I don't know if we're calling it fourth wave. I don't know if it's um, a ripple effect from third wave feminism, which I, I would hesitate to believe that it is. But there's this new brand of feminism that is out and about now, and it's very prominent, that I personally take issue with. And it's a lot of people refer to it, it's a derogatory term, and I'm going to say it anyway. A lot of people refer to people in this group of feminists as feminazis. And I'm going to paint a picture for you to describe exactly what I mean by this philosophy. So I was, I went to a pretty large high school. Our campus was outdoors and I had a classmate, a colleague at school that had this kind of ideology. And I was walking into the building in front of her to go to calculus and I held the door open for her. And she said, no, I can do it myself. And I looked at her like, huh? And she said, what are you trying to say? I can't hold the door open for myself. I'm a girl. Like I was so confused. I was so confused. I'd seen her do it to guys many times before. I had seen her have someone hold the door open for her, or I don't know. Say, I don't know. Be just be polite. These are these are things of common courtesy in my head. Uh, holding the door open. Also, let's talk practically. By saying no, close the door. I can open it myself. She's creating a line behind her of people trying to go to class. It was just ridiculous, and it's that kind of like. I don't need a man, 
fuck everything, like fuck men, all men are bad, men are trash. Like again, these are things that come out of my mouth, but only ironically, like only as as jokes and as a response to something shitty that a specific man has done. And yes, it's an extreme reaction that me and my friends have when we say, oh, all men are trash or men in cages or men are garbage. Like these are all things that we say, but we don't ever mean all men. You know, and maybe we should be more careful with our language. I can admit that. I can own up to that. That maybe we should be more inclusive of the idea that there are good men out there. However, what I will also argue as my own devil's advocate is that I have had enough bad experiences with men to believe that all men can be bad or dangerous to some women. So that I'll explain that again when I get into my perspective on feminism, but I want to talk about this, this feminazi stuff, and I don't want it to include what I'm about to say. So keep that idea, that extremist feminism of like, I don't need anybody, I can do everything myself, fuck everyone, I don't want any men near me because fuck the patriarchy, fuck this, fuck that. That's not, like, that's, I don't know what that is. That's what I'm calling feminazis, right? But there's this other part of feminism that's more recent, and it's the Me Too movement and the Women's March. So the Me Too movement, as I'm probably, as you're probably familiar with, is the movement that started after victims of sexual assault from Harvey Weinstein um, started coming out on on Twitter and in the media. The Women's March was actually the 21st of January, 2017, and if you know anything about that date, it is the day after. Trump's first full day in office as president. Millions of women around the country organized this march in response to his presidency. So these are two things that I don't know if I would call them inherently feminist, but they are women's issues and they are current and they are relevant. So I thought they were worth mentioning. Um, So let's get in now to, I'm going to give you my perspective on feminist um, ideas on feminist history, on feminism as a concept and feminism as a movement. And then we'll get into the issues and we'll get into my life a little bit, the people in my life and my experiences and, and what, what the people around me have to say about feminism. So here's my take. This is what I'll give you the long and short of how I feel about this issue. I think we live in a country where people should have the freedom to do whatever the fuck they want. I think that feminism should include men. I think that equality means equality. Um, I also think that intersectionality is the most integral, most important part of feminism. As a concept, as a movement, both. And so when I say I'm going to give you the long and short, it means I'm not going to go into long details about those things because those are the issues I'm going to be talking about with feminism in a second. But my thing is, we live in a country where we have literally been granted and guaranteed certain freedoms. Freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of press. I could keep going. There's literally 27, I believe, don't quote me on that, I want to say it's 27, amendments that give us certain rights and guidances for how the government treats us and our rights and our responsibilities. That, to me, is super important as an American, and it's something I'm super proud of, is having those freedoms. So, My take on feminism is that no one should ever look at anyone, man or woman, and say, this is what you can do and this is what you cannot do. Now, we're going to get into a conversation in a little bit about traditionalism, which posits not what women and men can and cannot do, but what they should and should not do. That is a different conversation. And so when we're talking about equality, I think everybody should have the same opportunities. If I want to be a rocket scientist... I can do that. (laughs) If I want to be a doctor, I can do that. And so I think these ideas that women can or cannot do things, like are physically or or capable, like capable or incapable of doing certain things, I think that is an archaic idea. Um, that there are things women can't do because, first of all, it's a generalization. You're going to say, oh, what about like hard manual labor? Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I would fall to pieces. I would disintegrate if you asked me to do construction work. But there are women out there that could absolutely handle it. And so I think in a country where freedom is the foundation of our philosophy, women and men both should have the freedom to decide what they're going to do based on the notion that they can do whatever they want. That's my take on feminism. And so my issues with feminism is what we're going to get into now. So I think that the feminist movement 
has taken a philosophy of equality, an idea of men and women being equal, and have skewed it so far in favor of women that men are afraid (laughs) of behaving normally, courteously, politely, chivalrously, gentleman-like, and being punished for that behavior. To me, that's too far. Men should be allowed to behave however they feel appropriate, and if they're bad people, they'll be punished for being bad people, but they shouldn't be punished just on the basis of being masculine. Um, I think that takes away from the equality. It's not, let's push women so far up the ladder that they're sitting on their high horses looking down at men, scoffing. It's not that. It's, let's view women and men as equal and allow them to achieve their highest potential as individuals without the discrimination based on their gender or sex. That's what it should be, in my opinion. The other thing that really, really bothers me, and this is this is going to be a heavy part of this episode, a heavy conversation, and it's It's the fact that the Me Too movement and or the movement to make people aware and against sexual assault and sexual harassment, that movement doesn't include men. And it bothers me. It baffles me. It disturbs me. It keeps me up at night. It doesn't include male victims of sexual assault. And by that, I mean male victims of sexual assault are not seen as credible they're not it's not seen as actual assault it's not even that people don't believe them it's that people hear it and go boys being boys whatever who cares and it's not that i feel this way personally it really isn't I, i i am a firm believer that male victims of sexual assault need to be heard and those cases need to be tried and processed exactly as any other sexual assault case should be but it's if we're gonna push that sexual assault is this huge new hot topic of let's all work together to stop this. I agree. A thousand percent consent is important. Assault is wrong, period. Why are we incapable of recognizing and validating when it happens to men? And I'm going to give you two examples that are happening in pop culture right now that I encourage you to go research and be a part of um, online because it's, it is mind-boggling how much attention these issues are not getting. And so there's two pretty famous influencers right now that are getting some heat for what I believe to be sexual harassment and sexual assault behaviors. So we've got David Dobrik and we have James Charles. If you don't keep up with social media, you probably have no idea who those two people are. But if you have not been living under a rock for the last five years, you probably know who both of them are very well because it's in your face anytime you log on to any social media. So we'll start with David Dobrik because I think it's the most in-your-face example of male victims not being validated. So David Dobrik, two years ago, I want to say it was 2018, maybe 2017 or 2019, I don't know, but around that era, he was doing daily vlogs and they were often full of these kind of sitcom-y like bits Some of them scripted, some of them real. The audience didn't know, and that's the point. So it was presented all as real, as like, this is a thing we're doing as friends in this group. Like, this is a joke we're doing or a a whatever, right? That was, it was presented as real life that he was, he was posting. And he did this bit that was very real. And there was a part of their friend group, Seth, and he's a black man from Compton, Um, And he's part of their friend group. And the reason I say he's a black man from Compton is because it's relevant to the story. So um, David and one of his friends, also part of this group, is Jason Nash. He's like a 45-year-old white man. Um, David and Jason plan this trick to convince Seth to make out with Jason by telling him that it's a hot girl. That's also part of their friend group. And so basically they say, all right, so you're going to go in this room. She's going to be wearing a mask that looks like an old man. And that's the joke is like you, you make out with her and then she's wearing this mask and you're like, oh my God, you're, you're wearing an old man mask, whatever. Like that's what they told him the joke would be when really the hot girl was never under the mask. And it was this 45 year old man named Jason. And so Seth goes in the room with Jason thinking it's this girl makes out with him for God knows how long until David brings the girl in the room, taps Seth to pull away from the kiss, sees the girl, sees the guy in the mask, guy takes off the mask, it's a 45-year-old man, and Seth freaks the fuck out. Because obviously, and it's seen in the footage, they did not have his consent to have him kissing a 45-year-old white man. 
Also, they admitted, I want to say about a year later on their podcast, David and Jason admitted that they knew the repercussions of the prank would be terrible for Seth for three to five years based on the fact that he's black and from Compton and homosexuality isn't accepted in his community. So they not only was it racially charged to an extent, but also they sexually assaulted him knowing it would have repercussions and then posted it on the internet. Holy fuck, right? That's crazy. Crazy. But because he's a man, there's limited media coverage. And I say because he's a man specifically because we all know that if a girl came out and told that story, they, the two men would be in jail right now. We know that. We know that. Their platforms would be taken away. It would be extreme consequences immediately. We know that. We know that to be true. We've seen it happen. We've seen it happen wrongfully also, which is another part of this that we're going to talk about, but that's not this conversation yet, right? So the response to Seth is that boys will be boys. It was just a joke. You're taking it too seriously. When he now, years later, is experiencing still harassment, trauma, hate on all ends of his world, on social media, from people in his real life, trauma within himself that he he has to seek, you know, therapy for, I'm sure. And his experience that is documented on camera and they are recorded admitting to it is being completely invalidated. It's wild to me. It makes zero sense to me at all. But it, it makes sense in this context of the Me Too movement and this, this crusade against sexual assault doesn't include men. And I don't, I don't particularly know why, to be honest, because I feel like if anyone came to me, man, woman, or otherwise, non-binary, gender fluid, came to me and said that they had been sexually assaulted, I would take that very seriously, regardless of their gender or sex. But as a culture, we have yet to include men. And I, I, I think if we really want to call ourselves feminists, or if we really want to work for equality in the true sense of the word, men have to be included in the conversation. They have to be included in the validation of sexual assault victims. Men have to be the the discussion of toxic masculinity and masculinity as a concept should be a feminist conversation by the quote-unquote definition of feminism if we're going to talk equality and all these issues that face women why are we not talking about all the issues that face men we're starting to i would say as a culture we're starting to to dip our toes in the water of talking about masculinity and the issues that men face but it is limited and it is often criticized one of my favorite actors his name is justin baldoni he has a podcast he has a book coming out and it's called man enough and he talks about issues of toxic masculinity those conversations again by the academic definition are inherently feminist even though they're all about men i think low-key the feminist movement wants to focus on women maybe because it's easier and maybe because that's what concerns us selfishly us women the most but if we want men to do better, they have to feel better about themselves. They have to have a better understanding of their masculinity. And those are issues of equality. Those are issues of, okay, how about the things that affect men? Why aren't we talking about them? This isn't a pro-men podcast. It's not an anti-men podcast either. But my, my point being that as someone who firmly believes in equality, it has to actually be equality for me to stand by it. it. It has to really mean equality. The other thing that I want to talk about, and then I have one last little kind of interesting tidbit um, before we move on to examples and issues and perspectives of feminism in my own personal life. Um, it's the intersectionality thing. It's the thing that although it is becoming and is a part of third wave feminism, it is not big enough, in my opinion. This concept that women women, people of color, people in the LGBT community, people of low income, people of XYZ statuses and identities suffer discrimination based on the intersection of those identities. That's not something we talk about enough. And and in this issue of feminism specifically, 
if we're gonna if we're if we are gonna focus on women then we better actually do it because trans women and women of color and women in the lgbt community are not included and served by traditional feminism they're not it's the issues of the middle class white woman that get addressed in politics historically not now but it needs to be an actual approach to uplifting women. If that's if that is the spirit of the movement, is uplifting women. If we're going to ignore the equality side and focus on, on improving the status of women in society, it needs to be all women. So it's like pick a lane. Either be equality about both men and women, or if we're going to focus on women, which is maybe fine, make it all women <laughs> at least. You know. Um, and so it saddens me to to hear people say and to feel and to see in the in the world and in the media that women of color, trans women, um, and women of all sorts of identities and backgrounds are not being served by the feminism they fought for. That bothers me. So the last thing I want to 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 throw out there is that I think. Uh, and I, I think I don't think it's inherently a feminist thing, but I think it's a thing women my age are doing more and more, which is the like men are trash, men are garbage. Um, I think there could be more emphasis in in liberal education on the men who did fight for women's equality, who did fight for women's suffrage. And the reason I say this is I know it's women who fought for for women's suffrage. I, I've seen the documentaries, I've done the work, I've done the research, I've, I've read the history. But there were powerful men that also stood up for women. But we'll never learn about them because it's a female-centered movement. And I think recognizing that not all men are bad might be helpful. Because the more we say out loud, men are trash, men in cages, men are garbage, the more they feel like garbage and maybe the more they treat us like garbage because they feel shitty about themselves because we're we're reinforcing that idea. It's not to say that women are to blame for the behavior of men, but... If we can do something to help the issue, maybe let's start recognizing when when men do fight for women and when they do stand up for what's right and when they do stand up for equality. Um, so, so those are my issues with feminism. You have a brief history. You have some of the things that I think challenge the validity of the feminist movement. And now we're going to get into some of the things I asked I asked people in my life different questions. Now, there's also, I'll I'll explain now, there's also another reason I'm doing this research and um, surveying people in my life. I'm doing a paper for school on feminism and people of color, uh, women of color specifically, and trans women of color more specifically. But I I found it curious as preliminary research uh, to survey the people in my life and say, would you consider yourself a feminist? Um, I asked my mom, my dad, um, a bunch of my friends, my cousin. Um, I should have asked my brothers, but now I'm recording this. So I, you know, if they have any, I'll, I'll text them and see if they have any input and I'll throw it in the next episode. But um, most people said no. And I, I found it interesting. I asked my dad a very specific question out of curiosity and also because I want to use it in my paper. Um, but I'm excited to share it with you today. Uh, So I'm going to get into kind of the nitty gritty of what what each of my friends and people in my life have said and some of the, you know, the explanation behind their answers. Um, So we're going to get into that now. So I want to start with my mom (laughs) because I think she's adorable and also interesting because my mom's one of the most liberal people I know. However, she uh, would not consider herself a feminist. I texted her yesterday and I said, would you call yourself a feminist? I'm doing research for this week's podcast. She said, no, (laughs) simple, no. And I said, third wave feminism, current feminism, feminism in general, question mark. She said, not that I disagree with the term. I just consider myself more of a traditional, like a traditionalist. What's third wave? And I said, fair enough. I would also say that about you because I will explain my mom's dynamic with my stepdad. And it, it is quite traditional and not in a sense that's sexist or degrading in any sort of way against women but their roles are much more traditional and the dynamic that they have um then i guess what she would believe would align with feminism and i said first and second wave right to vote property ownership birth control reproductive rights women in the workplace third wave is intersectionality and also people consider it the i don't need a man fuck off energy third wave is what people are referring to as feminazis even though that's not fair 
And she said, ah, well, neither for me. And I said, really? And she said, yep, I'll take stay-at-home mommy and man takes care of me any day. And we talked a little bit more. And then I said, my last thing that I said is I said, I think you're a feminist in the way that you raised me to be strong and capable. Or at least I think so. So I'm going to get into the like raising women and raising daughters thing at the end because I think it's the most interesting. But it's it ties into what I asked my dad. So I asked my dad, would you consider yourself a feminist? And then also before and after having a daughter. Me. Love that. I'm the only girl on my dad's entire side of the family um, for my generation. I have an aunt, but it's me, my brothers, and a bunch of boy cousins. So he said no before, and he would say yes now. And I think that's because he has the same understanding of feminism as I do, which is that I am just as capable to accomplish what I am meant to accomplish as any man. Um, And I think my dad would also be more traditional in the sense of the roles domestically, right? So stay-at-home mom, dad works, etc. That's the model I grew up with. I asked my cousin and he said no to the movement of feminism. I wouldn't say I'm a feminist. Yes to the idea of equality. He said his girlfriend would call herself a feminist. My best friend said yes, absolutely. No questions asked. My best friend who lives in California said no. But she had a really interesting perspective because hers was more of a no in a self-critical sense, which I respect, actually. She said, no, I, I don't think I've spent enough time lifting up women or studying feminism or being critical of male attention to to be considered a feminist but also she said something that we used to say in high school all the time which i love which is i'm not a feminist i firmly believe that women are better than men um and so she said she's never seen women as less than she's always actually seen women as stronger and more capable than men Um, which I think is true in context and in certain cases, right? But um, so her thing was not that she feels women are less than, but more that she hasn't been active enough in her life in a sort of feminist way that she would feel comfortable calling herself a feminist. Um, I asked some other friends that have not yet gotten back to me, but I could guess at their answer, which would be, yes, they believe in equality of men and women, but they are maybe more traditional. And then I, I, I have some friends that I know would say, yes, absolutely, women can do whatever the fuck they want, period. My my bestie boy that lives, <laughs> he's going to hate that I called him that, but he's, he's my best friend that I met in college. He was my neighbor um, in my first dorm. He lives in Miami. He said yes. And he said third wave feminism is the most important because of intersectionality, which is something that I super agree with, obviously. Um, And then I had some people ask me to define it a little bit more. The sexy Syrian said he was like, "Okay, explain what you mean. And my point in asking was not to explain what I mean, but to get a gut reaction of if I ask you on the street, are you a feminist? What would your answer be? Your answer wouldn't be, well, what do you mean by feminist? It would be yes or no. Right. So, um, he's working so i didn't get a response for that one but it's okay um i i know how he feels about women and i know how he feels about the dynamic between women and men and that's what i want to get into is this idea of the traditionalist value which is interesting i think the way it is portrayed and what it actually means and the reason i say that is because my mom is the first person to look at me and say go pop off be president of the fucking United States, be a senator, go to law school, have a podcast, achieve anything you want to achieve. But my mom also makes my stepdad's lunch every day and cooks him dinner and sets aside his vitamins. Like she is still very domestic. And and I don't say that as an insult to her by any means. And I don't, I don't think she would take it as one. Um, but she's a traditional woman in the sense that it's it's very cute too because they have lots of little projects um, together, and she always says, "Oh, we did this." Well, what by we I mean him, your stepdad, right? Um, which is very cute. But I, I think it's interesting because my mom is one of the strongest women I know, and yet my mom is still not subservient and not submissive, but she is still in service to my stepdad in this way because she likes it because it makes her feel good in the same way the sexy syrian and i were talking i hate saying that in a normal conversation um in a serious conversation about feminism (laughs) it sounds so wrong but he and i talked about the traditional man and the traditional woman and his thought was 
he gave me an example of he and his father laying tile in the, the bathroom at their house. And it's not that his mother or, or a woman couldn't help in the physical laying tile. But it's like, as a man, I want to take care of you in this way. So why would I want you to help? And in response, his mother would say, okay, take a break, have lunch. Oh, do you guys need water? Oh, you guys need to sit and relax for a couple minutes. It was her way of contributing. It was her way of taking care of them in the same way that they were taking care of her in the house. Um, and that was his his small example of this traditional woman thing or traditional man thing is there are things that men should do, not that they have to do or that women can't do to take care of the women in their lives. And there are things that the women in that women should do to take care of the men in their lives. And there's this dynamic of nurture and protection that is natural between men and women. That's the idea. And it's something that I have seen uh, on all sides of my family. And yet I have never felt as though my mother's uh, relationship with my stepfather or my dad's relationship with my stepmom I never felt like those relationships informed my sense of self in a way like, oh, my mom takes care of him, so that's what I have to do. It's, I mean, I've questioned her about it. We talked about it several times. She would she would say the same thing. I've been like, why do you do all that? Stop it. Stop. He can do that for himself. He's a grown-ass man. He can do that for himself. And she said, no, I want to. And it was interesting because this conversation of traditionalism reminded me of something that I actually learned a while back, which I found interesting, which is... Um, I read this article and essentially what it, it posits is that the American economy could not survive without the unpaid labor of homemakers, of mothers, of stay-at-home moms. And what that means is that the American economy was designed around the idea that the man gets paid enough that the woman can stay home and work. And when women pushed back in the 60s and started working, you now have this idea of a two-income household. And there are many families, and this isn't a criticism of families that have two incomes uh, or need uh, two income, you know, parents, right? Or two parents bringing, um, bringing home income, but, or two people, not everyone has kids. <laughs> I, you know, in, in trying to be not offensive, I stumble, but... Um, when the push started happening for women to work, it changed the economy. It changed the dynamic of the economy. And so people had to, because now two people are working and someone still has to take care of the house and the children. So it either falls on the hands of now a working mother or on the shoulders of a working mother or, um, and I say ideally, but ideally in a two-income household, the domestic responsibilities would be split because now you're both working. However, that's not culturally what happens. Um, and so it's it's an interesting dynamic. And so it was this, this article that I read was basically explaining how women staying at home, taking care of the home and the children is, is equally valuable labor to the economy because it's unpaid labor of women that allows men to go work and not have to pay for cleaning and childcare um, out of their salaries. It's also incredibly hard, incredibly validated work. I, I think there was maybe at one point in time, this idea that a stay at home mom doesn't really do much, but I think Culturally, we've come to understand how much work it is to be a mom and a, a wife and a homemaker. And so hopefully cult that idea of culture is changing. Now, what I want to say about, that's my like little tidbit about the economy. I just thought that was interesting. But what I want to say about the traditionalism, feminism, and all these different issues that I brought up is that I think true feminism is, is the freedom to be any kind of woman you want. And so if you are like the sexy Syrian and you're looking for a traditional woman, you'll find her. In a society that is feminist where people have the freedom to be whatever kind of man or woman they want, you will find someone like that. But the idea that women or men can and cannot do certain things, again, I think is archaic and I think it's counterintuitive to the ideas of feminism and equality. And so I know, for example, my roommate has said, she would love to just be a stay-at-home mom and take care of kids and take care of the house and take care of her husband. And in my head, I'm like, what the fuck? 
right? Because I, I'm dying to be a lawyer. <laughs> I'm dying to go to law school and have my career. But that's me. And she has the freedom to choose how she wants her life to look. And so I think this idea that uh, women who stay, who choose to be stay-at-home moms are weaker is silly. I think the idea that women who choose not to be stay-at-home moms are cold and bitchy is silly. And I think that feminism needs to take less of a political stance because politically, governmentally, we are all equal, right? And so the issue is now culture. We need to talk about this concept of freedom of choice, of freedom to design your own life however it fits you and suits you best. And I think that's true feminism. I think having that freedom, having the being empowered to make whatever choice without judgment, that I think is is where feminism needs to go because my mom was a stay-at-home mom. I had a childhood with a, a parent always at home. I am grateful for that. I'm grateful that my father made enough money that my mom didn't have to work and we could have her at home. But that's not everybody's life path. It's not what everybody wants. If my mom had wanted to work, I'm sure my dad would have been okay with it, but she should have the freedom to do that. She and she and again, I'm sure she did and she chose to be a mom, but I it's it's it has to be about the choice in the same way that I it's and I'll touch on it briefly because I, I refrained from touching on it earlier in the same way that I think the issue of abortion when we talk about choice it's not that that you have to like either side of the choice it's not that you have to agree or approve of but people deserve to make the choice for themselves that's my stance on abortion but that's I know that's controversial and we don't have to get into that but it's it, the this country was built on freedom and and freedom is essentially having the choice in my again in my head I'm, I'm a broken record um on this this last bit but it's it's really like women don't have to be one way they don't have to reject everything the other way either um i think it's really about what is going to make the individual person happy and i think empowering women is recognizing their freedom of choice and I think feminism, if we're going to talk about the definition and talking about equality, means that men should have the choice too, to be whatever kind of man they want. And I think that choice, that freedom, would eradicate a lot of the issues of sexism and a lot of the issues that men and women both face. One thing I don't think it will eradicate is sexual assault and sexual harassment. And I think that is a deeper, longer, different conversation. But they are issues that face women predominantly, but also men. And I think all of those cases should be validated, but I think it's another conversation because we can get into the, the, what about people who lie about it? What about people who clout chase? Like, I don't, I don't want to get into that conversation on the last five minutes of this episode, but um, I hope I've given you a, a good picture and a, a good criticism of, of where feminism is now, where it's come from. And my point in this conversation obviously is about the freedom of choice to be whatever kind of woman you want but i i want to leave you with something that i noticed everywhere yesterday on international women's day is it was this caption i saw it on facebook a hundred times i saw it on instagram a hundred times and it was strong women may we be them may we i don't know see them may we raise them i forget what the middle one was but it was may we be them something and then may we raise them and the point that I made to both my, my mother, my mother and my father <laughs> years ago, I made the point to my mother recently, but I made this, this com I had this conversation with my dad years ago was because I asked him if he was a feminist and he said, no, I don't think so. I, I, I like the idea of, you know, a woman taking care of the kids in the home and, and me and, but it doesn't mean that she can't, you know, go out and work. My dad, you know, works, has worked with female coworkers his entire career. So it's not that he doesn't think of women as capable um, but he was expressing a traditional value. And I said, but how about how you raised me? You didn't raise me to be a mom or a wife or a homemaker. You didn't raise me to not be those things. You didn't raise me to reject those things, but you didn't raise me with the specific purpose that those were things I had to be. You raised me to be smart, to be independent, to be strong to be self-aware you raised me to be a strong woman you raised me to be capable of anything and in that way 
I think your be your actions speak louder than your words, right? If I go after a career that's going to make me happy and successful and stable, there's nothing that will make my dad happier because he knows that I am capable and he knows that that's what I want. If I expressed to my dad early on that I never wanted to work and I wanted to be a mom and a housewife, I don't know that he would have liked that because he knew me to be capable and desiring and, you know, driven for so much more. But I said the same to my mom. I said, you didn't raise me to take shit from men. You didn't raise me to be some weak pussy of a woman. You raised me to hold my own. You raised me to be strong and resilient and stand up for what's right and what I believe in. You raised me with the choice of being whatever kind of woman I want to be. And the last thing I want to leave you with, I know we're already at an hour um, on this episode, but I'm going to take 10 minutes of your time to kind of describe the women around me as I grew up. Because in honor of National Women's, International Women's Day or whatever it was, um, I think it's an interesting conversation. So I had my mom. My mom is wild in one word, um, but she is outgoing and she's fun and she's strong and she's resilient and she's kind um, and she's feminine in a, in a really interestingly intoxicating way. My mom's the kind of woman that people find attractive for a hundred different reasons. And it's her energy, it's her, it's her looks, she's beautiful, it's her, her vibe, but she's that kind of woman. And so I saw that example. I saw how she behaved around men, and I saw that example of her behavior too that I already described. I had my mom's best friend, my aunt, and she was much more of like a tomboy, like, I, 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 less of a girly girl than my mom was. I had another one of my mom's friends who was 10 times more emotional and dramatic and up and down and traditionally feminine than my mom was. I had my grandmother, who was a very traditional, very classy woman. I have my aunt on my dad's side, who is one of the most accomplished people I know and had a very long, very successful career. I she also stopped her career to take care of her children and then went back to it later because she loved it so much. I had so many different examples of different ways to be a woman that I think inherently my family is feminist in the, in the true sense of the word, not the movement. Um, because they showed me there was no one way to be a woman, not every woman in my life was a stay-at-home mom. Not every woman in my life worked. Not every woman in my life was as strong or as outgoing or as intoxicating as my mother. Not every woman was as shy and, you know, and introverted as some of my mom's friends. Um, But I was raised around such diverse women in this way, in the way that they carried themselves, that I never felt a pressure to be one type of thing. And I'm grateful for that because it gave me, again, that freedom of choice to to say, what kind of woman do I want to be? Well, I definitely want to be a mom and a wife, but I also definitely want to have a kick-ass career. So how am I going to do those things in balance? Is it going to look like my aunt's life that seems very fulfilling and satisfying on both ends of family and career? Is it going to look like my mom who had a career and then stayed at home with us kids? Is it going to look like any number of my relatives or, or my mom's friends or other women in my life it's it's up to me to decide but I had so many examples of different ways of being a mother of being a wife but of being a woman and I think that is super important and I want to leave you with that idea that man woman non-binary gender fluid wherever you fall on these ideas of gender and sex you get to choose to be who you are regardless of whatever societal, cultural ideas of masculinity and femininity. And if you align with a more traditionalist idea that doesn't make you an anti-feminist, it doesn't make you a man-hater, it doesn't make you a woman-hater, it doesn't make you sexist, you have the freedom to do that and to feel that way. And if you never want to marry a man, if you want to do your entire life by by yourself because you are capable and strong and independent as a woman, pop off queen. I believe in you. You got this. 
But my point is that neither side should be shamed, neither side should be judged, because we, as a culture, as a country, we're our foundation is this freedom of choice. So why are we judging women for their choices when the whole point of feminism is that we could do whatever we want? Um, and and I hope my criticism of, of feminism doesn't go too far, but I also hope that it's far enough that you get the point that feminism should include men. Feminism should include people of color and people of the LGBT community and trans people. Feminism should include everybody because it's about equality. So on issues of gender and sex, we should be and feel and be treated equal. Now, what you choose to do with those feelings is your choice, is your freedom. And that's what I want to leave you with. I, I'm excited about next week. Uh, we're going to talk about something that I think is really interesting. I'm not going to tell you about it yet because I want to fine tune some of the details. And maybe, maybe the sexy Syrian will want to come on by next week. I don't know. I haven't asked him yet what his schedule looks like. Um... But that is this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I know I went a little bit longer than an hour, but um, we've got next week's episode. We're going to do Tuesdays. It seems like that's a good schedule for me so far. So Tuesdays consistently we're going to be uploading. I say we, it's me alone in my bedroom with a microphone. But if you have any questions or comments or stories or concerns, please feel free to email me or put them on the website. Um, Both of those links and the email address are in the um, description of the podcast here on Spotify. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join me again next week.